0: Praise God for our assembly here today to worship our good God, to pray together, to break bread together, to grow in his good word together. Turn with me in your Bibles to the letter of Ephesians. We are joyful to continue our sermon series to this most um, just important letter in the New Testament. this, This great gift of God to us, this writing of Paul to the church in the region of Ephesus We're in chapter 4. Today we will focus on verse 14. Paul's focus in the early parts of chapter 4 have been on this awesome unity that God has given to the body of Christ. And in verse 11 and 12, Paul speaks about the appointed leaders of the church. God-appointed leaders that he's put in place to to train up his blood-bought people, to build up the body of Christ to teach and equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the maturing of their knowledge of sound doctrine and Christ-likeness. There's an important practice of these things that we are to have and to value of what it means to mature in faith and life. The teaching and the equipping of the shepherds is needed for this maturing, but it's also to help us be protected from false doctrine or sinful worldly ideologies. Last week we saw Paul emphasize in verse 13, we're to grow in the knowledge of God and in unity as to what we believe. God's word teaches us. And I will say, if you're just joining us this week to focus in on verse 14, and you missed last week. Sermon on verse 13. You really should find some time this week to sit with that podcast sermon and listen to it. That foundational framework in verse 13 really sets up what we do today in verse 14. Our being equipped in sound doctrine and spiritual maturity is a major way that God not only matures us, but equips us to discern falsehood. Understand with clarity that God's standard is not. The world's standard. God's standard is perfect and holy. This is why we're desperate for Jesus. For for no one meets God's standard without Christ. Praise God for the spotless lamb that was slain in our place. God's standard remains on us. But now in Christ we have the power in the Holy Spirit to grow in maturity to solidify our conviction and confession to God in truth. Church, this is so needed for us today, because we, we need to mature. We need to be equipped, solidifying our understanding of God's ways, so that our feet and our faith is fixed and knocked around by the circumstances of a broken world, the storms that rage swayed to worldly or fleshly or secular ideas or values that do not honor God and will not only negatively affect us, but will negatively affect those in our wake, our children, our families. We have an important work to do today. As acceptance of sinful ideology is all the more acceptable nowadays. In ways that it absolutely should not be, according to God's holy word and standard. Again, too often people want to dismiss some of this to say, oh, that's, that's religion. It's not. This is God's word, God's command. May the Lord bring conviction and clarity today as to what honors Him, that we would grow in Christ all the more in these things. Look with me at verse 11 through 14 as we prepare to dive in. We'll be reminded of the context of our verse. Paul says in verse 11, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Much to do in verse 14, church. Look with me at the first part of the verse. So that we may no longer be children. Paul is saying here that we need to have a maturing in doctrine and Christ-likeness so that we may no longer be the following things he lists here in verse 14. In other words, maturity in Christ is essential so that stability in the midst of life's trials and temptations will be endured with faithfulness or steadfastness. Paul's first emphasis that we are no longer children is a perfect understanding of what maturity does to your life to bring stability. Consider with me just the simplistic nature of a child. Children are naive. They're largely ignorant. Easy to sway or to deceive. They are small in frame and stature And therefore, they are weak and vulnerable. And in this, Paul is talking about the need for theological stability in a world that is constantly coming at you with manipulation and temptation and deception. See, like children, we are very unstable if we're immature in our faith, in our theology. Children are unstable as they're just learning how to walk. They're immature when it comes to good balance and good discernment. Why? Because they're simply learning how to stand, how to navigate the room. A child's not ready to navigate and stand fast in the midst of life's trials and manipulations. It's God's good plan that we all mature into adulthood and don't remain children to do this life. So see with me today Paul's emphasis to say this applies to our spiritual life as well, that we are not to remain children, but are to mature, that we would endure the trials and temptations of this life. See with me how critical stability is the ability to stand and endure without being knocked over easily. The storms of life will rage. Are you stable in Christ? Are you fixed in Christ? Standing on the rock. Jesus gives good, clear illustration and emphasis to this in his teaching in Matthew 7, 24-27. through Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. Built who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine, it does not do them. It's like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. To truly be built on the rock that is the gospel, that is Christ Jesus and His holy word, means you have heard the gospel and you've given yourself to Christ. You see that you now belong to Him. It is your joy to belong to Him. So that in this you long to know Him, you long to obey Him. You study His Word. You are faithful to be committed to the local church, to sit under solid biblical teaching. You are humble to be discipled, to put yourself around mature believers who really can't equip you and hold you accountable and walk with you. When you hear the instruction of the Lord, you obey it. You don't reason with it. You don't excuse it. You submit yourself to it joyfully. You trust that God is perfect and holy and good. If you've never seen the beauty of the gospel, the, the grace of God to send His only Son to live without sin, to die in the place of sinners, and to rise and conquer death, if that's coming in view for you today, that means God's given you eyes to see and you're seeing that that applies to you. Then that faith needs to go to work. You need to confess your sin before God. Your, your need for a Savior that you would trust your life to Jesus. That you would no longer belong to yourself. You would no longer be interested in pursuing your own ways. You want to pursue His ways. You want to honor Him with your days. Repent and believe and be saved. Share that with us so we can rejoice with you. So we can celebrate that in baptism. So we can begin to walk with you and equip you and help you mature. Church, Jesus is the rock. He's the foundation. Praise God for this. It's the words of one of our favorite hymns. Christ alone is our cornerstone. Weak made strong in the Savior's love. Through the storm, He is Lord. He's Lord of all. Church, slow this morning to consider how true this is for you. Because it will be tested. The storms will rage. They will be on your house of faith. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're leaning in. But just getting here, just getting through this hour is not enough. Is your life built on Jesus? Oh, how sweet it is to move from practicing religion to knowing and walking and growing in Christ. When you're fixed in Christ, then you will no longer be susceptible to be undone by others, by others' mishandling of you. Let me ask you, how often are you undone or upset when other people don't love you like they should or at least like you want them to? Maybe that reveals that you're not as fixed in Christ, grounded in Him. You're trying to be grounded in other things. You're you're trying to have your identity in other things. Maybe as spouse or parent or child or sibling or... Christian, when you belong to God, when you are fixed in Him, why then are you so worked up, or worried about what others think or do? This sneaks in in little ways. And it can be really haunting. It can be, and it can really be a big part of our instability. We should be backstroking in the ocean of God's love. And not undone by the raindrops of misapplied love of others. Church, when we are rooted and grounded in God's love, our identity is secure. When we're fixed in Christ, we're no longer susceptible to our floundering fleshly emotions. If our our flesh is what we're living out of, then we will be emotional people. Easily angered, easily disappointed, envious, sad, let down, bitter. Beloved, when you're fixed in the rock, on the rock of Christ, you are stable. Paul's saying here, clearly, we're to be equipped in God's Word. We're to be growing in good doctrine. We're to be growing in our unity of the faith. Why? So we would not be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes if you feel unstable then your issue is not the nature of the storm as we often want to blame it but your maturity and your grounding in Christ alone that's the issue you don't need more of life to go your way that's not the solution Why? Because there's another storm coming. You need more of Christ as your identity and your stability. For those of you who struggle with this, you likely need a greater commitment to the church. You need to move out of this semi-passive, comfortable thing you've been in and move to a new tier. You need to move through the hurts of your past, through the The ways that the enemies cause you to have reservation. To be committed to sitting under sound teaching. To be discipled by more mature brothers and sisters in Christ. Without this maturity, you will struggle to know real stability. You'll struggle to not feel like a child who's constantly wobbly and falling over. Let's look at the next part of the verse. So we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves. When our faith is not firm in God's truth, and our spiritual muscles are not strong and trained, we're vulnerable to be tossed around by the storms of life. I love the experience that Peter had when walking on the water in the midst of a raging storm. Matthew fourteen twenty one twenty eight 28-31, Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Peter started out so well. Consider that with me. He had faith that he too could walk on the water in the presence of his Lord, the power of his Lord. He had faith and focus on Jesus. Realize with me, in that moment, the storm is raging. To the flesh, what is happening is scary. It makes no sense, according to flesh, to get out of the boat. So his faith is abounding in that moment. Those who were in the boat with Peter were scared. Scared to death. They they remained, but Peter stepped out onto the water in great faith. The problem is, as it is for many of us, we too quickly forget our foundation. Our focus must remain on Christ. Peter began to think he was fine on his own. "Look at me, Mom, look what I'm doing." His, his focus began to be on the storm itself. It scared him, and he began to sink. Are you being affected all too often by the storms of your life? Are you being tossed to and fro by the waves? Or are you fixed on Jesus? Are you trusting in Him alone? Growing in His Word and truth? Can I just be honest to say, we talk about that a lot, growing in His Word and truth. And a lot of you hear that a lot. And then you do nothing with it. Do you see that by not doing anything with it, you're staying on the baby food your faith is not flexing it's not your muscles not getting worked out you got to go to work young man young woman brother sister visitor you got you got to dig in you got you got to work out are you walking steadfastly in the midst of life storm Do you see the difference? Maturity in the Word and in faith in Christ is the true basis for how we'll navigate the storms of life because the storms are coming. I love how James says it this way, James 1, 2, and 3. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. The way I try to think about that when something's about to not go my way is, okay, Lord, you're calling me to some gym time. I don't don't get to go get out on the playing field. These days ahead are days for practice or for training. I want to go play, but in your wisdom, you're saying, let's work out. So this trial that's coming is a season to train. And because there's wisdom in our master, we trust that. We're not... The player on the team that says, No, no, I got a better idea how this should go. No, we trust him. When he says, Let's work out, then we get our gym clothes on and we work out. And maybe that's a financial hardship. Maybe that's a physical ailment you're facing. And he's like, Let's do some refining. Maybe, Maybe that's in the midst of a relationship or something else that's going on in your life. God's saying, Let's fine tune this. Let's, when we meet, Trials of various kinds, let's count it as joy. for We know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And then in verse 12, chapter 1, James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Do you see a mature man there? Steadfastness is another way of saying faithful or spiritually mature. Remaining steadfast means remaining full of faith in God despite the obstacles you face. You're steadfast. Let me ask you, is your faith steadfast? Even under great pressure? Are you known as someone who just talks about your faith in Jesus? Or are you known as someone who really models that faith in the midst of great pressure and hardship? Church trials are coming to test our faith. But see with me, this is a good thing. Because faith that is not tested is faith, is faith that is still or faith that is stagnant. It's not faith at work. Many people who call themselves Christians do so because they grew up in the church. They've had maybe a few emotional experiences whereby they've professed faith in God. But that's about all their faith journeys produced. When they were tested, really tested, they walked away. When the opportunity to get busy with life presented itself, they stepped, They stopped being faithful to the church. They stopped being faithful to growing in Christ. They got excited about the pay raise, the new gig, the opportunity to coach the elite team, the opportunity to whatever. They got busy with the world's agenda. When their commitment to serve God became too hard or too inconvenient, they went back to serving themselves. But faith that is truly faith in God is faith that saves. It's faith that takes over your life in every way. Can I just challenge those of you who maybe as I'm talking through the last, those last couple scenarios are going, man, I'm do- I feel like I'm doing good. I'm remaining faithful But are you still guilty of letting a situation be so confounding that your faith's not really getting exercised in that area? Faith should take over our life in every way. It's not a momentary thing. It's not a box to be checked. It's new birth, as Jesus says in John 3. It's a commitment to die to the old and live in the new. For the glory of God. Spiritual maturity is a commitment to a trust in God that's not just a part of someone's life. Too many have just added Jesus. They've they've put Him next to their other commitments and other priorities. But Jesus is not someone who will be added to your other priorities. He's not someone we negotiate with to share our top affections with. No, when we see him and savor him and commit ourselves to him, God gives us saving faith. It's it's faith that that just overwhelms every part of our lives and as incredible obstacles of hardship come and suffering comes, we stand fast in our identity in Christ. Our stability in him. We endure, we cling to him all the more. We don't exchange him for something else. We don't get halfway through the storm and say, Man, I don't think this is really working out. Let me grab the bottle instead. Or let me jump into this affair instead to, to find some happiness, to, to find some, something fun again. These days are miserable. No, finish the race. Push through the storm. Know that God is with you. He will not forsake you. Steadfastness is remaining confident in God. It's being on a small boat and a 40-foot wall of water is headed your way. And as your increased trial approaches, you know God is at work and on His throne. You trust Him to work perfectly as this horrific pending moment of hardship races towards you. You know you are His. You know He will not forsake you. He will not waste a moment of your life for His good purposes and glory. He's working all things according to His plan. We are to walk by faith, church, and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5-7 To walk, to live every day, every moment, in steadfast faith. I love Hebrews 12:1 and 2. Let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Are your eyes fixed on Christ, or are you like Peter, where you're, you're getting too focused and too caught up in the storm? Teachers, you're back at it. I know it's hard right now. I know it's harder than ever. You can't see your kids. You can't hug these kids. You can't. You, you're trying to figure it out. You've been given instructions, and it's halfway, and it's undone, and nothing's working, and they're playing Tetris while they're trying to watch you, and It's a new layer of trial where your faith gets to go to work. Where you get to wake up and say, God, today, let's go. Church, the point is this. We must be maturing in sound doctrine, maturing in our faith in God, our dependence, our trust in Him, so that when the storms rage, and they will, we remain steadfast instead of those tossed to and fro by the waves. Look with me at what Paul says next. That we no longer be children. We no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves. We no longer be carried about by every wind of doctrine. The term wind of doctrine is meant to convey flippant, ill founded, unbiblical, unestablished, trendy beliefs. It's false doctrine. It's not the truth of God, according to his word. That's longstanding, enduring. It's new. It's trendy. It's unbiblical. And it's compared to wind for its lightness and its emptiness. There's a sinful pride, watch this, that can work and affect a person's propensity to grab hold of trendy doctrine because, watch this, the flesh struggles with the notion of being old-fashioned, of being outdated. Whatever part of the flesh that wants to be cool, that wants to be current, struggles with the notion of being old-fashioned and outdated. You've got to see that that is a fleshly thing. There can, be, there can be this fear of being left behind by the newest generation. And so too many Christians fall into compromise with the aim of keeping themselves relevant and current. Can I speak to a touchy area where we might be slipping into this? Parents, we are in danger of doing this with our own children. In the most important season of their lives, their childhood, before they're adults, they are to be raised, they are to be trained, protected, and shaped by you. And yet far too many parents fall prey to the concern that their kids will not keep up with the trends of society or might grow to not like them, so they compromise their convictions and hope for the best. In 21 years of pastoral ministry, I've come to see what an absolute disaster this is. Nothing is better for the training up of your children than the ways of God. No new trend is what they need. None of them. Nothing will benefit them more than the ways of God. No compromise for trendy thinking or practices will be better for them. It will all the more often be for their worse. Church trends are just that. They're trendy. They come and they go. May we see the error that it is to allow our doctrine, our convictions, our practices to follow the world's trends. Trends. Hebrews 13, 9, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. When our faith is not firm and maturing in God's truths, our spiritual muscles are not strong and trained, rightly know they're vulnerable to believe and grab onto false doctrine. For those of you who grew up in the church or spent a long time in the church before coming to Disciples or another solid Bible-based church and for some of you who've been a part of our church in its history before our Reformation 12 years ago, think of all the ways in which you used to just not rightly understand You didn't know sound doctrine. Who God really is. How He really works. How He really saves. What He really wants from us. And on and on. No, you don't know those things. You didn't know those things because you were a part of experiences that were trendy. That were modernized. That were grabbing hold of new vehicles and new priorities and the kinds of teaching and preaching and practices Things that sometimes you look out and they look very normal. You see hundreds of churches that do this. Yeah, sadly, many have been caught up in the things that Paul warns we should not have any part of. Think about the ways you were susceptible during that era of your life. Think about how that influenced you. And think about how it influenced those who you were assigned to influence. Some of you are newer to our church, and so you're just starting to see that there's something much different than you've known for a long time. One thing this shows us is that just time in the church, using that broadly, is not enough. You must be active in studying the word rightly and being poured into correctly by spiritually mature, biblically convicted shepherds and leaders. Some of you are just still too comfortable in doing the minimum. You need to see today that you could really grow in spiritual maturity if you would just humble yourself and really lean in with some commitment and some coachability. One more thing before moving on. As you consider the need to be growing spiritually so that you are not vulnerable to be swayed by false doctrine, if you are tempted to keep doing it your own way with minimum study, minimum invite for others to speak into your life to disciple you, can I ask you to not just think of yourself, but think of all those who will follow you your children, grandchildren, your friends, your family, your coworkers? How they are vulnerable and weak because you remain vulnerable and weak. Look with me to the next part of our verse. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. What I want you to see here is the words cunning, crafty, and deceitful are all essentially describing the same kind of thing. The same kind of person or influencer. It is someone who is attractive or skilled at deceiving or manipulating others. The Greek word cunning here was used in that day to signify a game of dice. It's describing someone who's a trickster, who cheats people, who deceives or corrupts them. It's a right description of false teachers. Who deceive in the hearts of the immature as the gaming tricksters cheat men out of their money. No one likes to get scammed. But there's something in the flesh that's still alluring to that street side game. Something fun about it. Something adventurous about it. Sometimes we think, I'll find the scam. And you come to discover you were ill-equipped and still fell prey. No one likes to be cheated or hustled, but it takes discernment and maturity to not be fooled into deception. The kind of maturity we are to have in solid doctrine and Christ-likeness that Paul spoke of in verse 13. Where do we see this kind of deception in Scripture? Well, We need look no further than the most famous moment. It seems to kind of float above the rest. The serpent in the garden when he tempted and deceived Adam and Eve. Look quickly again at that passage with me. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty, there's that word, than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of the tree in the garden? Satan has a lot of tricks that he uses to tempt us to believe his lies. In this, he tries to confuse us with what God has really done. We need maturity to be like June so we can laugh at his deception <laughs> instead of fall prey to it. Genesis 3 2 through 4. The woman said to the serpent, May we eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden? But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. Satan loves to blur the consequences of sin. Consequences God has made clear. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan loves to attack the way we view God with lies and deception. Verse 6, so when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, see the reasoning, the fleshly reasoning that stands opposite of God's straight and clear command and warning. That the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Satan doesn't care about our well being, our future. Neither do the modern movements or ideologies or false teachers. Their goal is not the glory of God, their goal is something else, something self serving, some other agenda. The enemy wants to trap, trap us, to trick us, with ideology that appeals to the flesh. Reasoning that appeals to our fleshly thinking. with Trendy thinking and practices becoming all the more normal and therefore acceptable, despite what God's Word says about it. I've spoken of it for many years this way. It, it's like when you put a frog in a drop it in a pot of boiling water, it, it says, this is really hot, and jumps out. It identifies it rightly. You put that frog in a pot of cool water, and you slowly turn up the heat. Many times the, the frog lacks the discernment to know that things are getting hot before it's boiled to death. That's essentially what we see in many of our trends that have become very normal and acceptable, and especially even to our younger generations, These things are normal. Why? Because the heat has been slowly turned up. There's a little more of it in all of the commercials and movies and songs and culture and books and education and and media platforms. It just slowly keeps getting turned up. Until we're busted because people we love have completely given themselves over to falsehood and call it good and right. Many of these things seem fine, but in the end, they get you. They they make peace for you and your household in the moment, but they lead to destruction. Movies, music, TV, experiences of your friends, preferences of your children, slowly warm us up to accept things that God says are sinful and wrong. It's deception. Realize the enemy's good at this. So the presentation is never just the pot of boiling water. Why? Because that doesn't work. It, it, it's the crafty, deceiving, little touches along the way. God, God knew we would face temptations like this. In our modern day, he knew how prevalent wicked and sinful things are in this broken world. He, he knew how vulnerable people would be to accept them as good and normal, even though his word is clear to say otherwise. Listen to the warning, Second Corinthians 11.3. I'm afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Romans 16, 17-19, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, as to what is evil. Colossians 2 8 See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Sadly, there are popular churches in our very city who do not teach the truths of God. They've found other vehicles, other modern, modern ways to create culture and to help people see some advancement in their lives. But at the end, we are to judge it based on its doctrinal rightness. And so no amount of good experience, no amount of God's providence even to still use such a church in your life means that somehow now it's acceptable. Church, we need to have discernment. This goes for the books we read, the people we watch on TV. 1 John 4.1 Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Church, we need to have a solid grounding in sound biblical doctrine so that we are not easily deceived. We need to be in true community so we can be accountable. Oh, it breaks my heart when all too often beloved people will will make life changes, they'll make church changes, just because like this seems to just be a better fit for our family, this job, this, this place... All of this is way too important for what God's called you to do in these days to make the church you're committed to and growing in secondary. We picked this and then we'll pick that. No, you need to pick where you're involved and committed first and build out of that. You need to test it. It needs to be proven. Proven. We need each other for true accountability. We need our shepherds to guide us in wisdom and in the Word. You need to ask more than you do. Instead of just, hey, this is what I've been working on and I think I've figured it out. What are some of the deceitful schemes, the craftiness, the human cunning or reasoning that secular society and sadly many Christians, quote unquote, are susceptible to or even affirming or even endorsing of I'll pick a couple big ones because sadly they are true of this definition and need to be confronted The first is sexual sin There is way too much acceptance and tolerance of sexual sin in our society Sin that Godly clearly calls wicked in scripture In all the different lists of sexual sin in Scripture, and all the different lists of sin in Scripture, sexual sin is in just about every one of them. Why? Because God is wise, because God knows. Listen and understand, church, that you may not be deceived. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Praise God if you were one of these things, because you've been forgiven in Christ. You were made new. I love the testimony of redemption and restoration that God has in the people of our church. I love how many of you are growing to a place of maturity where you're willing to share the reality of the wickedness that was in your former days. Why? Because it's been overcome by the victory of Christ. Amen? That's your new identity. It is sinful deception to call any type of sex outside of God-ordained marriage good or permissible. It is sinful deception to say that there is a permissive way for homosexuality or transgenderism to be practiced or endorsed. But our society says otherwise. It says it loud lately. Why? Because they hate God and His And his holiness. But if we're not careful, if we're not diligent to be trained in biblical truth, to be steadfast in it, and then to train up the next generation in the unwavering good truths of God, they too will one day say otherwise. What else do we see as normal in our culture, but an affront to the holy standard of God? Abortion. Genesis 1.27 is clear to say that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. David says to God in Psalm 139.13, You form my inward parts. of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. God has ordained that human life begins at conception. A human life begins when God, the author of life, ordains it. In the dark and intimate workings of the body, He designed it. To take a life conceived in the womb and to destroy it is murder. There is no justification, no rights of another person or circumstances of life or convenience that justify the destruction of what God has ordained to be. God's word is clear. You shall not murder. Exodus 20 verse 13. Church, we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. James 1.22 We cannot know what God's Word says is true and say amen and then do something else. James says that one of the great signs of true mature faith is in God is a faith that's lived out in our obedience to the Holy Word, that we do not just hear it, but we do it. You are not trusting God if you do not obey God. The byproduct of true love and trust in God is devotion to Him. Are you trusting God? Are you, or are you trusting man-made solutions or ways? It is this way with anything else in life, or it's hypocrisy. Consider with me, if you say you love your spouse but then you live in a consistent state of unfaithfulness to your marriage vows, you don't really love your spouse. If you say you love your job, but you never show up to work or put in real effort when you're there, you don't really love your job. It is simply not true love or devotion if it's not backed up with action. With doing. You cannot claim to know and love Jesus and disregard the fact that He is God. Which means if you know that He is God, you will love Him and you will submit to Him. Because He is God, those who belong to Him will embrace His authority as God. This means you will love to be ruled by Him. You will no longer be ruled by the world or your family heritage or the preferences of those you love the most in this life or your personal preferences. This means we don't endorse abortion because our culture has found a way to call it good and legal. And on your, in your own logic, it seems that a, a woman's rights to choose is greater than the right of the child in the womb to live. No, we fight our flesh and our culture's agenda, and we obey God's Word. This means you don't endorse homosexuality because our culture has found a way to call it good and right or because your son or daughter feels that they're homosexual. No, we fight our flesh to call what God calls sin good, and instead we obey God's holy word and love and rightly hold accountable those who struggle with these fleshly sinful desires. The the Bible is God's word. It's breathed out by him. It's inerrant, infallible, and the final authority for determining what is true, what we must believe, and what is right, how we must live. We do not need, nor should we support, modern, trendy, crafty ideologies that are in defiance with God's clearly written Word. If you are struggling with any of this, or other deceptions of fallen man, it is imperative that you don't keep that to yourself. that you lean on your shepherds, lean on your mature group leaders to navigate your feelings. Be honest. Share. What's going on? What are you seeing? What are you wrestling with? But your longing in the wrestling should be, I belong to God, so I want to honor God. Can you help me figure that out? We love you, and we're here to walk with you in these things. John 14, 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. The evidence of a true believer who loves Jesus as Lord of their life is the one who has and keeps the commandments of God. A.W. Pink said it this way, about this verse. He says, "...how this verse rebukes the increasing antinomianism, anti-law of our day. In some circles we cannot use the word commandments without being frowned upon as legalist. Multitudes are being taught the law is the enemy of grace, and that the God of Sinai is a stern and forbidding deity, laying upon His creatures a yoke of grievous to be born." terrible travesty of the truth is this the one who wrote upon the tablets of stone is none other than the one who died on Calvary's cross he who here says if ye love me keep my commandments also said at Sinai that he would show mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments this was written by A.W. Pink a hundred years ago And how sadly true it still is today. Church, this shows us how potent sin is. Sin in mankind to give us the audacity to want to rewrite what the Lord has made clear. To repackage or reprioritize what God's made clear. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, and not by our obedient works or will. This is true, but it doesn't mean the moral, universal commandments of God, the new covenant positive law commands of God are not for us to obey. The good news is that we who are in Christ now have the power and the desire to obey the good and right commandments of God. In Christ alone is this possible and the evidence of our salvation. The result of regeneration means the, sovereignty, the sovereign God gives us a new heart, new desires, and the tree of our life will go on to produce good fruit. This doesn't mean that a Christian doesn't have off days. We're still at war with our flesh. A true Christian will struggle. A true Christian will sin. A true Christian may even fall into grievous sin. A true Christian can languish in immaturity. But the difference between the true Christian and a Christian with superficial faith is the true Christian will not stay there. There will be real repentance. There will be real humility to say, I have seen it wrong." I have lived too much out of my flesh and not enough out of Christ and me and the truths of God's word. I'm ready to change my ways. Help me find that way that honors God. A true Christian will not produce an ongoing yield of dishonoring fruit. They will not ongoingly reject the will and command of God. There will be a real trajectory of growth and sanctification even with struggles and backsliding, overall there's an upward trajectory of sanctification. We must be doers of the word, church, and not hearers only, because it is those who joyfully obey God's word that prove to belong to God and truly trust in Jesus as Lord. Church, I want to close with this this morning. I see how desperate we are for these things. And God's timing for this is so good right now. The world's on fire all around us. I know you see it, the lies that are perpetuated, the agenda of modern man. This is an important season to know and be trained up in the truths of God, that our hope and our peace would be in Him. And while it's essential that we vote and participate in the economy of some of the things that the Lord's called us to, it's also important that we don't hang our hat on those things. If you're not registered to vote, you need to be. You need to be a good steward of the place and country that God's appointed you to live and do life. But but more than that, you need to be getting in the Word and being trained to think biblically about these things. We need to be careful not to project our hope or our allegiance to some political leader or agenda. Our allegiance and our hopes needs to be in Christ. That's the hope of the world. That's the reason for our days. We need to be maturing to keep on this path. We need to be corrected. We need to be guided. How essential it is that you are sitting under sound preaching and teaching that you are being discipled under greater maturity. But really consider for a moment with me the wise words of the psalmist as we close today. And I pray you really do business with this this week. Psalm 119.9 How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Psalm 119.105 Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm one nineteen one ten. The wicked have laid a snare for me. I do not stray from your precepts. Psalm one nineteen one fifteen. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Verse 128. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Verse 133, keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Verse 163, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. In Psalm 1, 1 through 6. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, they are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the ways of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Church, may we be growing in the truths of God, in Christ likeness, so that we no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Let us pray. Father, you are a good God, you are mighty. To save you are gracious to move upon myself and these people. To unstop our ears. To open our eyes to the goodness of the gospel. I know there are some in the room who have been exposed to these truths and yet their heart is still hard. I pray to You, God, because it's You who has to open eyes and unstop ears. You who has to breathe spiritual life so that the sweetness of the gospel, the goodness of Your holy ways, would be our desire, our ways. Bring saving faith, Lord, to those dead in sin. Let them see the failure of religious practice, of moral conformity, for without Christ we have nothing. And yet in Christ, Lord, those who are saved and set free, empowered by the Holy Spirit, instructed by your Holy Word, let us be diligent. Let us be faithful to growing in sound doctrine, to being discipled and matured in Christ's likeness that we would be steadfast, that we would endure falsehood and trials and temptations. You are able, more than able. We thank you. We worship you. We wait on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.